The episode of I Think Therefore I Fan you're about to listen to discusses the following works. Russian Doll, Groundhog Day, Happy Death Day, and Breaking Bad. You've been warned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Think Therefore I Fan, a pop culture and philosophy podcast. On this podcast, we'll explore the most compelling philosophical themes as we find them in all of everyone's favorite fandoms. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Richard Green. And I'm Dr. Rachel Robison Green. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Welcome. Yeah, so um, good to be back to normal. What do you mean? But the, the music. You remember last episode, for the first time, we had music that wasn't thematically sound, <laughs> okay. um, consistent with the rest of the show, because we wanted something really snappy and peppy to start the season. But now we've, we've got this nice Russian-sounding music, and <laughs> today we're talking about Russian dolls. So I, I feel like all is right with the, um, the universe. <laughs> Well, before we get started, we should remind folks about Comic-Con coming up this weekend. I think last episode we had mentioned that it was going to be on a Friday, but that's it. our, our panel has actually been moved to uh, Saturday, which is probably a better time. Uh, so it's Saturday, September 24th from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. in room 251A of the Salt Palace. Yeah, so that's... um going to be exciting and we'll talk about some of the issues that we talked about last time um, and maybe expand on that a little bit. So Retribution, Vengeance, mm-hmm. there'll be some Moon Knight, there'll be some Spider-Man. Um, All right. Should be a lot of fun. Now you know the whole thing. Just stay home. We just told you. <laughs> or alternatively, maybe we'll say more. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. All right. So today we're, um, we're talking about Russian Doll. And so just by way of setup... Um, our you know, friend of the show, we've interviewed him a couple of times, uh, David Kyle Johnson, good philosopher, uh, is the editor of the Paul Grave Handbook, uh, Popular Culture as Philosophy, which is um, an online collection of just an incredible number of um, essays um, at the intersection of pop culture and philosophy. And it's about to go into print. They're, they're just getting the last few in. Um, in fact, maybe mine was the last one because... Um, I was waiting for season two of Russian Doll to come out to write, so they've sort of been patiently waiting for me. Uh, Rach has um, an article in there on um, The Handmaid's Tale. I do, and I think you can access individual chapters online, too. So there's going to be a hard copy, but there's also going to be... there. You can also access yeah, it's, papers it's, in it's, other ways. So if you like want to teach one in your class, something sounds perfect for your class... You, yeah, you can access them. Get the one. Yeah, it's 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 a, a really great work. Um, nice job by um by Kyle. So yeah, so my my um addition to this was on Russian Doll, and uh, because of the pandemic, season two was delayed and delayed and delayed. Um, and um, I finally got it in. It's um being typeset now and just about to come out. Um, so we thought it'd be good to talk about because there's just tons of great philosophy in um in Russian Doll. 
So season one um, is essentially about time loops. Um, and season two is about time travel, right? And there's some overlapping metaphysical issues that I thought it'd be fun to explore and so forth. So um, I want to say maybe just break these up and talk about season one a little bit first um, and then season two as well. And then we'll see how the, the issues connect. Um, so, you know, time loops, right? This is a, a you know popular form of story you see nowadays. Um where someone's caught in a time loop and it, they keep reliving the same day or the same several days of the same period of time over and over again, right? They're, they're caught in this loop. Um, so in other places, I've referred to this as the Groundhog Day phenomenon, right? And um, I think that's helpful because um, lots of people have seen Russian Doll and other time loop stories, Happy Death Day and so forth. Um, but almost everybody has seen Groundhog Day, mm -hmm. right? The great um, contemporary philosopher, Alexander Israelevsky, <laughs> referred to Groundhog Day as the greatest philosophical movie ever created. <laughs> maybe an oversell, maybe not, right? Um, when I think about it, I just go back and forth between The Seventh Seal and Groundhog Day. <laughs> but, they're, but they're both fantastic. Right, so, okay, so, it, you know, you, you, the Groundhog Day phenomenon is this thing where you know someone's um, in some sort of time loop, right? So they're repeating um, either periods of time or certain events um, over and over, and that the beginning of the loop is fixed, right? They go back to some you know specific moment. Um, in Russian Doll, it's this point where the main character Nadia is at her 36th birthday party, and um, you know she's standing in front of a mirror in the bathroom and. Yeah, then she leaves and goes out um, and then eventually gets um, killed and then put back to that, that same point in time. Um, so the, the, the beginning is fixed. Um, the end point of the time loop is fixed, but not necessarily temporally, right? So it might be fixed um, as it is in Groundhog Day by, um, you know, the alarm hitting, was it 6.05 the next morning? Um or, you know, something occurring, right? So in the case of Nadia in, in Russian Doll, it's when she, um, when she dies again. And she dies in all sorts of different ways. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's part of the fun of the show, right? There's this, like, one montage where the writers find, like, 25 different ways to kill her going down a particular staircase. <laughs> and, you know, she's, she's being very careful, but the more careful she is, you know, just the, the worse it gets. Um, and when she does it perfectly... You know, a, a piano falls on her from the top of the stairs or, you know, some such. All right. Um, another sort of salient feature um, of the Groundhog Day phenomenon is there's some puzzle or mystery to be solved, right? And that's the key to breaking out of the loop, right? They, they, the person in the time loop can't get out of it until they, they figure out how to solve it or um, they just inadvertently solve it. Um, so, you know, on Groundhog Day, um, Phil you know, isn't aware that he's solving um, the, the time loop. He just betters himself and over time, um, you know, once he gets to be a sufficiently good person, um, the universe allows him to, um, to leave the time loop. And then finally, um, the other feature is, you know, the person in the loop is usually the only one aware of the loop. Or they, you know, they might tell other people and, and convince them, hey, I'm in this time loop. Um, but they're the only one sort of actually experiencing the loop. Or, as in the case of Russian dolls, it's a couple of people in the loop. So this, this raises, you know, all sorts of interesting um, philosophical questions. Um, 
if time loops can happen, what sense are we to make of time, right? So there's some standard views in the metaphysics of time, um, you know, and, they, and there certainly are, are more than these, but kind of the big three are presentism, right? This is the view that only the present exists. Eternalism, that all times exist. And then the um, growing block theory of time, which is, you know, the past and present exist, um, but the, the future doesn't. So it, it seems like um, time loops pretty much commit one to um, eternalism, right? Because you have people living at the various points of time, experiencing the various points of time. Um, you know, people go back and revisit the past. People are in the present. Other people are in the future of the people that are currently experiencing the past and the present and so forth. Okay, so that's that's one sort of set of issues that, that um, time loop stories raise. Um, the, the big metaphysical question, I think, is what sense are we to make of other people in the time loop, right? So, um, you know, Nadia and, and Russian Dolls going through this loop and she's got her best friend Maxine and her sort of surrogate mother, um, Ruth, um, and she interacts with them at various points in time um, and often in the, the same settings as before. So she'll exit the bathroom at the party and there will be Maxine, you know, saying happy birthday. Um, and then she goes through this again and the same thing happens, but it's slightly different. She says it in a different way. She might be standing in a different place. She goes to visit Ruth. Um, they have similar but different conversations and all of that. Um, so is she experiencing or well maybe a better way to put it is are there a bunch of different Maxines? Mm -hmm. are there a bunch of different roots and so forth um it seems problematic either way right um so this is this is part of the trick right for the the time loop story to to solve this um yeah yeah i i this kind of reminds me of wandavision a little bit um, and in, in, of other mm. shows of that type where there are certain characters that have main character energy, as the kids say now. Oh, oh geez. <laughs> we know where they get that. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the other characters, you know, there are all sorts of things going on with them that are deeply philosophically interesting, mm -hmm. given that they are side characters, uh, but but it's very rarely explored. Yeah, so the other ones, um, and they actually make a joke about this in season two of um, Russian Doll that some of the other characters are, are NPCs, right? Non-player characters that you know, <laughs> analogous to the um, the video games. Oh, right, right. You encounter certain <laughs> certain characters whose set of responses is far more fixed than the main characters, right? They they maybe can do different things, but they can't choose from among a wide range of options. They mm -hmm. can do maybe two or three things depending on what the main character does. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of very limited free will, you know, to the extent that free will's built into these stories and so forth. Okay, so why why is this philosophically interesting? Well, if you I mean let's use Groundhog Day as an example, right? So the, the, the payoff of the story there is is Phil becomes a better person and he ends up with Rita. Um, now, I was reading one article, uh, so a very clever person went through and calculated the number of days that must have occurred in Groundhog Day, the number mm -hmm. of um, Groundhog Days that repeated. <laughs> and it's, it's 12,965, right? Wow. So, um, so suppose that 
you know, you just say, well, no, that, you know, Phil's not interacting with the same Rita every single day. Um, then what you end up with is, is Phil, there's just a single Phil because he's reliving all of this, um, ends up with the person we will call Rita number 12,165. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so from a narrative point of view, that's not good, right? We'd, we don't have a vested interest in Phil ending up with Rita 12,001, you know. So there are personal identity issues. Yeah, yeah. Kind of the, the Rita that's introduced into the storyline at the beginning is the maybe the one you want him to end up with. Although maybe you don't really care. Yeah, but you, but you should care. I mean, I think from a, from a narrative point of view, the line they're sort of pushing is Phil's a jerk. Rita doesn't like him. Phil gets better. Rita starts to like him. Mm-hmm. Phil gets even better. Rita likes him a lot. Phil gets a lot worse because um, Phil getting better was all kind of a ruse. Um, Rita really dislikes him. There's the montage where she slaps him 111 times in a row. <laughs> right. And then Phil says, you know what? I'm a jerk. I'm just going to get better. And then Rita loves him. They, mm-hmm. they wake up the next morning and it's not Groundhog Day. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, so, yeah, I mean, I think you're, you know, you're not rooting for, you know, hapless Phil to get a Rita. Mm-hmm. You're rooting for hapless Phil uh-huh. to, to yeah. become a better person and get the, the Rita, right? Um, and so, you know, if, if you say that they're, they're not the same person, right, then you have these kind of narrative problems. If you say that, that, that it is the same person, then you get real problems of personal identity, right? Think Leibniz's Law type cases where, you know, Ruth... Um, you know, on one day goes to the market and on another day she, she um, this is sounding like the little piggy thing, stays home. Uh, <laughs> and on the third day she has roast beef, you know, all at the same time, right? So um, Leibniz's Law is this, this thing that's used in the, the metaphysics of personal identity. Um, it's basically a principle that says, you know, if, if two things don't have all the same properties, they're not the same thing, right? So... Um, you know, if you want to hold that it's the same person the whole time, and yet one of them has the property at this point in time of doing X, and the other one has the property at that same point in time of doing not X, it seems like it's going to come out that that they're not the same person. Um, okay, so um, there's there's you know possible solutions, right? Um, I mean, if you consider that you know the, the people um, are the the same. Folks, it's the same Ruth, it's the same Rita, it's the same Alan, <clears throat> and so forth. Well, Alan's a bad example because he's in the time loop in Russian Doll. Um, he's experiencing it as well. But same Maxine and so forth. And that they're, they just keep resetting at the beginning of the, the loop. Then you can avoid that Leibniz's Law problem, right? They're the, the person in time loop one that did this and the person in time loop two that did some different thing, went to the market one day, didn't go to the market, you know, stayed home, the other and so forth. Okay, so, so far so good, right? Um, You don't have the Leibniz's law type problem, but suppose that the hero of the story never finds the solution to the problem, never finds the way out of the loop, right? Then what you have is, you know, some situation where everyone's just sort of screwed for all of eternity, except for the person who's in the time loop. And they're, they're screwed in virtue of being in the, the time loop, right? Future generations don't come into existence and that sort of thing. So, you know, it, it 
one way to think about this is, um, you know, the, the, the time loop problem is a much bigger problem. It's a problem for everyone. But in the, in the narrative, it's just sort of presented as a problem for Phil or a problem for Alan and Nadia. So I, I kind of think of this as a sort of burying the lead, right? Um, all of humanity is going to come to a screeching halt um, where everyone's just kind of stuck in a time loop. Future generations don't exist unless Phil Connor decides to better himself somehow, mm -hmm. right? That doesn't feel like the story that's being pushed by the writers, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they, I think what you're supposed to get is, oh, everybody just goes on and this poor guy is, you know, is such a mess that he has to um, keep reliving this day until he gets it right. What do you think about, like, the multiverse in this, these kinds of scenarios? Do you think you're supposed to believe that these different possibilities are occurring at once or that one and only one of them is happening? Like, could there be a possible world in which everybody just went on with their lives? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the next solution that, ah, that, okay. I, that okay. I had in mind. So... Good. Um, yeah, you know, in the article, I did kind of a lot of setup to get to this point. So, the, you know, I was sort of thinking of the previous solution as the bad solution. Mm -hmm. um, the good solution would be to introduce something like timelines, right? And, and timelines require something like a multiverse, right? So um, Groundhog Day is not explicit on this, by the way, but I think Russian Doll is, Um you know, at the end of the first season of Russian Doll, they, they recognize um, that the problem to be solved has to do with the fact that Nadia and Alan both died at um, the same moment in the first timeline. And if either had been concerned about the other because their, their paths crossed, neither of them would have died, right? Mm -hmm. So they recognize that they have to go back into the different timelines. Mm -hmm. Nadia has to find her way to the timeline where... Um, suicidal Alan is. Alan has to find his way um, to the timeline where Nadia is going to walk in front of the taxi cab and, mm -hmm. and get run over. And they each have to do the thing that the other version of them didn't do. Right? So timeline... Yeah, go ahead. You were, you were going to... I was just going to say it, it seems like so many of these uh, stories are about people learning not to be selfish jerks. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's the thing. I mean, so, you know, there's there's this issue about, you know, the, the nature of the universe and these things. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, the universe is putting people in these positions. It's like this, you know, big moral agent. Uh -huh. um, yeah, and it's, and it's worried about um, jerks. I mean, not yeah. in every story, right? In Happy Death Day, um, it seems like the girl's not a jerk. She just has to find the person who killed her uh -huh. and, and become a jerk and, and actually kill them. Um, so, yeah, so on, on the, the good solution, right, um, all the people are different people. They're in different timelines. Um, so there's, you know, timeline one, Nadia, timeline two, Nadia, timeline one, Ruth, timeline two, Ruth, timeline one, the horse, and so forth. Um, all these, they all exist. So you got the Leibniz's law. Well, you got the solution to the Leibniz's law problem because in a sense that they're all different. But because they're just the same person's from um, in different timelines, right? A multiverse, um, but not a multiverse of, of doppelgangers. They all have the same claim to being the Nadia, to being the horse, the Ruth, the Rita, mm -hmm. and stuff. So, so that, you know, in Groundhog Day, if they were to take the timeline approach, the Rita that, that Phil ends up with, 
is the Rita. There's just a whole bunch of these counterparts from mm-hmm. different timelines um, that that have the the same sort of strong claim to being the Rita. So yeah, um, I, I think that, that your instincts are exactly right there. That's that's the way to solve this and and make most of the weirdness. So wait, let me away. let me be sure that I understand. So the Rita that we were per- previously referring to as twelve thousand whatever, um, we're on this reading. We're supposed to be understanding that as the Rita. Yeah, but but so's Rita three thousand seven hundred nineteen, and so's Rita number four. They're they're just all Rita from different timelines. So if you if you take a scenario where, suppose you know they, you go back in time. Um, well, I'll, I'll do a different example. Um, we take a scenario where I go back in time to a week ago Thursday, and I remember to put on deodorant <laughs> that day, right? And so um, I, I go back, I remind myself to do that, um, that I dressed up as someone who I think's not me, all the back to the future or some such. Um, and then I go to school and I, I don't smell rotten. Um, so that me is different from the timeline version of me that didn't wear deodorant that day. Mm-hmm. But it's not the case that one of them's me and one of them's not me. Right? They're, they're, um, I'm, I'm thinking like Parfit's vision cases here, right? Where um, when, when a two-person split at a particular point in a timeline, um, they're not the same person for mm-hmm. Leibniz's law kind of reasons. But they, they have the common origins such that they both sort of have the, the same connection. Is this like a four-dimensionalism kind of solution? It, it can be, but it needn't be. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, part for in this case, it's, it's like, um, you know, split brain type things. And you put half the brain in one and half the brain in the other. And which one's the real person? Well, you know, one goes to San Francisco and the other one goes to Denver. So they're not identical to each other via Leibniz's law, but they have an equally strong mm. claim to being the, the same thing. It's, it's just some next iteration, mm. right? They, they're all of all the different timeline Rita's are next iterations of whatever Rita split off okay. when Phil went back in time mm-hmm. in the all loop. Right. All right. Yeah, there's just different ways it happened. So yeah, it's um, Groundhog Day, or sorry, um, Russian Doll, I just think is really clever on this point, right? Because they, they, they make that explicitly part of the solution rather than just them becoming good people. They had to become better people than they were. They, mm-hmm. they couldn't be these people that didn't give a crap about anything that came into their orbit. Um, but they also had to do it by way of going to different timelines. And then the last thing you see in season one is they're all in this sort of grand parade together right there's a mm-hmm. street parade going on and they go into it and their their bodies merge right that mm-hmm. the timelines come back together and now they're on a single oh, timeline yeah. yeah i'd forgotten about that scene and until season two um so yeah maybe just a one more thing about about season one right um and we don't get an answer to this this question at all but um you know given the existence of time loops it clearly the universe has some vested interest in alan mm-hmm. and nadia um, so, you know, as you watch it, you wonder, well, why does the, um, the universe do these things? What mm-hmm. kind of agency does it have? What mm-hmm. sort of power does it have? Um, and 
they, they again make that explicit. Nadia has several quotes. Um, you know, at one point she's saying the universe is um, fucking with me. And then as she's a little older and wiser, she says, well, I've learned when the universe fucks with you, you let it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they get that it's going on. Um, and then they, a little later, she says, finally, the universe has come up with something even worse than death, right? Mm -hmm. It's all this sort of time travel stuff. Um, but yeah, we don't, we don't get a really clear answer. So I'd love to see, a, you know, a, a time loop type show um, where you, you actually get a story as to why the universe is doing this, right? Mm. I mean, I think most of the writers just think, well, it's interesting. We'll, we'll put them in a loop and have yeah. them get their way out of it. I mean, you know, the universe is not the kind of thing that can exhibit intentionality, right? It's, that's, um, unless you're, you know, a panpsychist or something and you think that yeah, everything yeah. is conscious or that there is some collective consciousness uh, yeah. in the universe or something. But I, yeah, I still don't even know how you'd work that out. God is doing it or something like that. But I, I don't know, that does not seem to be what's going on in, in Russian Doll. Like if you were to attribute anything, a consciousness to anything, that would be a pretty zany god who was doing that in yeah, particular. I, <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of problem of evil stuff, right? Because mm -hmm. so in, in Groundhog Day, you could say that yeah, Bill's just getting an opportunity to better himself. But, but he's also like, you know, electrocuting himself in the bathtub and stuff. You wouldn't think that an all good god would be like, hey... Drive off a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> Although, isn't that what you want out of your all good God? I'm the idiot that's going to electrocute myself or drive off the cliff. And God just says, all right, I'll, I'll make it so you I'll don't die. Reset. Yeah, I, I got your back on this one. You know, take the toaster in the bathtub all you want. Uh, but the pain will still exist. Yeah, but the pain still exists. Right. So that's the problem. And then in, in Russian Doll, it's, yeah, they're just explicit with the fact that the universe is messing with them. So... Yeah, season two um, was really interesting as well. So then the big issue here, as I mentioned, was time travel, right? So um, they um, take on the, the biggest of the time travel paradoxes, you know, which is some variation on the theme. Can you go back in time and say, kill your own grandparent, mm -hmm. right? And this is thought to be um, paradoxical, right? Because if you go back in time and kill your, your grandfather... You know, if you go sufficiently far back in time prior to your own birth um, or prior to your grandparents conceiving of, of um, your your parent and so forth, um, for the kids that aren't up to speed on this stuff, when a man and a woman really love each other, <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'll just leave it at that, right? They, they you know, you, you, you go back far enough in time, you kill the grandfather, your father's not conceived, you're not conceived, mm -hmm. um, so then you're not there to go back and... Kill the grandfather. So it's it's a, a big um, paradox. You, you mentioned that you think that they're exploring this question of whether you can kill one's own grandparent. Do you think that they actually really care about whether the time travel works out? Like they're that they're trying to offer some plausible time travel narrative. Yeah, I, I think I think so. Um, okay. So I don't think they're exploring. Can you go back and kill your your grandparent specifically? Right. Um, but there, the, the the question is, can you go back and make big changes, right? Ah, okay, right. And so, um, you know, you have Nadia doing that, right? Um, the, her mother and her mother's boyfriend, Chaz, um, steal her family fortune, her grandmother's Krugerrands. Mm -hmm. um, 
And that's the money that they would have used to send Nadia to college. It messed up her whole life. So um, here she's able to time travel. They do it by getting on the number six train. And they can go to different points in time. And actually embody different people. Yeah, that's that's part of the, the really fun weirdness is um, you, you go into some ancestor of yours depending on the time you travel to. So one time Nadia embodies her mother who at the time is pregnant with her. Mm-hmm. At another time she embodies her grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan goes back in, in time to the early 1960s and he embodies his grandmother. And then they take on a lot of the, the properties that that person has, not just the physical mm-hmm. attributes. Um, so, you know, Nadia's mother, Lenora, um, has schizophrenia, and Nadia starts becoming that way. Um, Alan develops a big crush on the person that his grandmother has a big crush on. And then seems, even when he's not embodying his grandmother, to now think about his sexuality different. Yeah, potentially. He's, he's, yeah. he's retained some of those, like it was a teaching moment for himself or, mm-hmm. or some such. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Nadia's going back and she's going to, gonna, you know, um, stop the stealing of the Krugerrands or once they're stolen, she's going to replace them and put them back and she's going to make everything fine. Um, and then, you know, it's just like trying to get down the stairs safely in season one. Something keeps happening, right? Um, mm-hmm. So at one point, you know, they get stolen from her on a train and Alan tries to, to go back and, and change some events as well, um, he tries to prevent somebody from tunneling under the Berlin Wall um, because he lost this person, and presumably they're they're caught and executed and so forth. Um, and but they're not able to. So it, you know, a brute fact about the Russian doll universe is that you can't change big things. You can change little things, but not big things. In a way that seems to me to be fatalistic rather than deterministic. Yeah, because yeah. it's it's. It's, it's kind of the thing that's like, it's going, it's not that there's only one path. I mean, as we've explored already today, like there are multiple paths, but the same thing is going to happen no matter what path you go on in, in both seasons, essentially, right? Uh, or at least uh, initially, she's going to die one way or another until she gets things figured out. And then here, like the Krugerrands are going to end up missing mm-hmm. no matter which path she goes down. So she's forced to really think about whether the Krugerrands are actually worth pursuing or something yeah yeah well and then at one point um she finds a way to get the krugerrands um and or get the the she goes back farther and, and gets the family fortune that turns into the krugerrands that get stolen and then she goes to um the, the pawn shop and they pay her in the same krugerrands <laughs> and that's when Nadia realizes like okay these Krugerrands are going to end up at my grandmother's house the night my mom and Chez steal them. And mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's no avoiding that. It's sort of about forgiving her mother. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that's, that's the really big payoff of season two, right? So they, they find out that they can't change the past. Um, Nadia's mother's pregnant with her. She's inhabiting her mother's body. She gives birth to herself um, on a, you know, train station platform a subway platform and um thinks okay well i can't change the past i'll just take myself to the future and raise myself properly mm-hmm. oh yeah right and then she does that and then just a, a little baby her well right? yeah just <laughs> takes herself to the future this is really clever stuff um and then all hell breaks loose right the, the space-time continuum just rips apart so it's just like doc brown and back to the future says you know it's don't do these kinds of things it's 
and it and it turns out you know that it's truly disastrous so you know they alan and nadia start to talk about the ethics of all this is it okay to um to change the the past or to try to change the past um alan says yes nadia says no and eventually they come to the conclusion that you can't it's just irrelevant right it's mm -hmm. a odd implies can sort of thing you know that that the, the point is moot um because it's not a live option mm -hmm. for them um which raises a, a really interesting question, right? What was the puzzle to solve, right? In season one, they had to merge the timelines and then, you know, they could they could get out of the loops. And here, by the way, timelines are doing a lot of work solving the, the same set of issues, um, right? You have this sort of the grandfather paradox well, there, you know, you go back and kill the grandfather. You kill the grandfather on one timeline. That's a timeline where you don't exist. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you exist on all these other timelines. So the, the show is nicely consistent across the seasons. Um, but just when it when it seems like um, there there isn't a problem to be solved, right? They, they, you, you can't solve the problem. Um, there's this nice existential twist. It's not a it's not a problem to get the universe to to fix something. They have to they have to fix themselves. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so here we get this interesting scene where um, Alan and Nadia are like taken into some sort of weird void outside time, and Nadia's talking to her mother, and Alan's talking to his grandmother, and Nadia's mother says, "You know, if you had to do it all over again." Um, would you would you choose your family, right? I mean, you, clearly mm -hmm. you're trying to change all this, and mm -hmm. and Nadia thinks, yeah, I would, right? Mm -hmm. And so now we're we're sort of hit with this kind of myth of Sisyphus story. Mm -hmm. um, so um, you want to briefly recap yeah. the myth of Sisyphus? Well, I mean, we've talked about this many times on the podcast, but Sisyphus is doomed to roll a boulder up to the top of the hill for eternity just only to watch it roll back down and engage in the same task over and over again and Camus talks about you know the, the you know this is supposed to be like hell the, the gods have condemned Sisyphus to a kind of hell of meaninglessness but the solution is to become an absurd hero and control your response to your situation even if you can't control the situation itself yeah, and, and this is exactly what Nadia does, right? She mm -hmm. she becomes the absurd hero. Yeah, she her mother asks her that question. She's like, yeah, mm -hmm. I would choose it. This is my lot in life. Mm -hmm. And she goes back to the future. It's a little bit later. She's at, at Ruth's funeral. That was one of the things she was trying to change. She couldn't change it. That Ruth was, that would die. Yeah. yeah, and she's there with Alan, and they just sort of smile at each other knowingly. She goes in the bathroom where it all starts in season one, just kind of looks in the mirror and smiles. And so... You know, Camus says we have to imagine Sisyphus happy, right? And mm -hmm. that's exactly what we're doing. It's like Nadia couldn't fix anything, mm -hmm. and she was and she was okay with it. And it, it was a, so so. There is a big payoff, the, the a big puzzle to be solved, right? But it's not getting the universe to do things differently. It's changing your personal response. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and just yeah, sort of a wonderful treatment of um, the myth of Sisyphus. I thought. Well, not to mess up your nice tidy bow at the end of that, because uh, I thought that assessment was great. But you know what I love about some of these shows, as the mother of a teenager, is that so many of them involve 
young people going back in time and learning to appreciate their parents. <laughs> back to the future. Yeah, 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 right. Right, this. Although originally Marty McFly goes back to the future and finds out that his mom's like boozy and lusty and completely a normal human being. Well, um, I know, and, and so then... But that's good too, but right? Because he learned, because she's a teenager and he's a teenager and he comes to think of her as a human being with all the same sorts of traits that right, he has right, as a teenager. Right. Yeah, right? so initially appalled, but then like, oh yeah. Okay, Rach, what are we liking this week? Well, ever since we finished Better Call Saul, we've just been watching Breaking Bad. We just haven't wanted wanted to get out of that universe. But the reason we, you know, I know that's a, a show that's been over for a while. But one of the reasons we wanted to bring it up, well, is because the only it's the only thing we've been engaging with, <laughs> other than work and you know watching a, an episode or two of Breaking Bad at night. But also just because our reaction to it has been so different this time than it was the first time around. Yeah, agreed. So the the, the big difference um, is Walt, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. Last time, tell me if this was your experience too. He, he mm-hmm. kept getting in trouble and we're like, how's Walt going to get out of this? Mm-hmm. Um, and this time it, it's, well, one, we know what he gets out of and what he doesn't because we've seen it before. But we're not exactly rooting for Walt this time. He, he, he's striking me as more despicable. I, I keep thinking like, yeah, kill him, Gus. <laughs> like right from the outset, I sort of, as I looked back, as I thought back on the show, not having watched it in a while, what I sort of remembered was, here's this high school teacher who finds himself diagnosed with cancer, and uh, he does whatever he can to provide for his family. He seemed like a the kind of protagonist of the story. And then upon the next watch, I thought, he never really was. I mean, you're supposed to think, oh, he broke bad. Right. I mean, the, the whole, well, I don't know what you're supposed to think, but the whole, the whole title of the show suggests that he was initially not bad and then he became bad. But as I watched it again, I just thought he's not good at any point. Like he's narcissistic, seemingly like sociopathic. I mean, easy, early on when they're showing like his interactions with Jesse as a student, they're flashing back to, or maybe not flashing back, but they're talking about how he treated Jesse as a student. If I treated students like that, I'd probably find myself without a job. Right. You know, they're, writing they're, insulting things on a high school students' paper. Condescending notes. Right? Yeah. It's always kind of a, a jerk. Yeah, and then you know, and then you you love Jesse the same way you always did. So mm-hmm. it just makes it worse. Mm-hmm. You know, the, mm-hmm. the more abusive Walt is to Jesse. And you remember really liking Hank, or at least I did, and then on on rewatch, he's kind of a racist. I mean, not just kind of a racist, he's constantly making jokes about um hispanic people yeah um, and, yeah. and or, you know using slurs and things like oh whoa and i wonder if these were all things that i that it's not i wonder if the creators of the show always intended you to see that um and i just didn't see it quite as well or if i'm not remembering my own reaction well enough or if we've just moved to a place in society now you know, roughly nine, ten years since the show ended. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm you know, ballparking. Yeah. And uh, and certain behaviors were never acceptable, but are more commonly viewed as unacceptable today. You, you might say, oh, he's a cop. They all talk that way, you know, and, and make excuses where now it's like absolutely not, right? No. I mean, I don't, I don't think I was doing that back then anyway, but, um, you know, at least 
Hank's friends seem to just let it bounce right off him, including Gomez. Right. I mean, I remember because the show came out in something like 2008. And and Jesse is, you know, a little, the guy that plays Jesse Aaron Paul, a little older than me. So I was, as I was watching that, I was relating to the Jesse character and the mm. cultural trends. I mean, obviously... I was a meth head or whatever, but, uh, but, but I was relating to the just sort of cultural trends and things. And, and, you know, it was a, a time where people were more explicitly racist and they weren't called out on it as much, you know, um, or that, and not just racist, but sexist and things like that. And, and I wonder if that, that was all just cultural commentary that I didn't get, you know, because the main thing that I didn't get that, that just screams at me now is that the show's about toxic masculinity. Yeah. You know, I mean, so you've got Walt, who is, you think at first that he's motivated by his family, making money for his family, but it becomes very clear that he's actually motivated by his by his own ego, by his own sense of masculinity, by his own need for power and domination. And, you know, he was emasculated by... Um, the whole thing that happened with gray matter and getting cut out of a billion dollar company. And so he kind of wants to become, you know, get his masculinity back mm-hmm. by creating this meth empire that when he has multiple chances to get out over the first four and a half seasons, he doesn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other reactions. Um, Gus, I remember we talked about this um, right before Gus dies thinking, you know, when's he going to be the bad guy? Right. Mm-hmm. The first time through, I remember thinking like, oh, they got Gus. And I just kind of liked Gus the whole time this time. I mean, you know, he's ruthless and stuff. He, he does some brutal things. Yeah. I mean, but... he, you know, um, kills Tony, you know, slashes his throat in cold blood. And uh-huh. um, there was a Victor. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, you know, he's not a great person, but he's got a certain amount of charm. I also think that during Better Call Saul, they reveal more of his personality and um, sides of it that, that, make him a little more endearing. Well, but but he never became the sort of bad guy you wanted to see get killed. And I was, um, you know, I I remembered, I, I really, I liked, there are some characters in the show that are um, LGBTQ characters, including Gus. And um, I, 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 think, I think there's a very interesting, you know, a lot of the people in the meth world, the big gangster types, are LGBTQ characters, or at least two of them that I can think mm-hmm. of. That's not a lot, but that's a lot more than you would have seen in 2007 and other shows. Right, right. Um, and I mean, the, the, you know, Gus's partner getting killed in a flashback, really, I mean, if you were just telling the story from Gus's point of view, Gus would probably be the protagonist. Yeah, You're right. just trying to, because we have a lot of stories that involve vengeance, and we tend to, for, for good or ill, we tend to... Um, relate to the person seeking vengeance or cheer for them at least in some way. So, you know, that you might view the whole arc of like the Salamancas and Gus and whatever is Gus getting back at um, the Salamancas for killing his partner. Yeah, right. The broken heart vengeance is the, the easiest vengeance to say, okay, I get that. Yeah. Right. You're right enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, Mike, I sort of felt the same about throughout the show. I just loved Mike through... Um, both series and stuff. Um, but it, it seemed worse this time when he died than last time. And again, mm-hmm. you know, it was a him versus Walt kind of thing. Um, the other person um, that my reaction was different, and this is interesting, because I recently read an interview with Vince Gilligan, right? The creator who said, 
I don't know why everybody hated Skylar. I rewatched Breaking Bad recently, and boy, she sure gets short shrift. I despised her even more so this time. So did I. So did I. It's so under my skin. Um, I, I didn't even like Walt. And I just like, stop being mean to Walt. So. It just seems like she just never had any compassion. I, I, you know, just under, you know, when he first, I guess when he first got cancer, she had compassion. But then, like, it seems like you would understand why somebody would do what Walt did. It just seems she, like she she didn't have a wide emotional range. It was just irritation, um, disgust, and and she didn't seem to ever recognize that like the stuff she was doing was equally bad in some circumstances. Anyway, yeah, yeah. As someone who's actually broken bad a couple of times in their life, it, it was nothing like Walt. I didn't have cancer, but once I stubbed my toe, and I became a sophist. Um, so, <laughs> I I'm glad that that you. Can have some empathy for I'll that. I'll have some compassion for that. <laughs> okay, Rach. Well, that's a wrap. Episode 66 is in the can. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with our next episode. Thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to be a sponsor of this podcast, please go to our webpage. That's IThinkTheyreFarryFan.com, all one word. Click on the link that says Donate and follow the instructions. Thank you.